0: I have two trivia questions, Bible trivia questions, and two prizes here. I don't, uh, with my kind of uh, digestive issues, I don't get to eat chocolate anymore. But if I could eat chocolate, I would eat one of these. So I want someone else to enjoy it for my sake. So the first question is for young people ages 0 to 17. And adults, do not help, do not help, do not Google, do not get out your phones. One of these questions is relevant to the sermon this morning, and one of them is totally irrelevant to the sermon. So first question is, I kind of set this up a little bit, there's a theme that goes through kind of um, superhero stories, where you have a superhero, and then you have that superhero's alter ego, or arch enemy, or nemesis, or mirror image. And so, for example, uh, Superman, from what I understand, I'm not a big comic follower, but from what I understand, his alter ego is bizarro, sounds bizarre. Um, But kind of has identical powers, um, but is kind of the evil counterpart to Superman. So my question is about Satan. And my question is, of course, Satan is very evil. Who is the good counterpart to Satan? Raise your hand. Benny? No. Aubrey? What? What? The snake? No. Yes. No. Yes. Yes, the Archangel Michael. You get your choice. Chose the Kit Kat. I thought the Kit Kat would be the underdog. So he's ready. This, This young man is ready. Congratulations. Okay, here is the question. Open to everyone that has no relevance to the sermon this morning. What is the longest verse in the Bible? Yes. Uh, Psalm no, that's the longest chapter. Psalm 9, 119. 119. No, that's the longest chapter. What is the longest verse? I see Phil's hand back there. Is anybody going gonna... to? Yeah, Phil had his hand up. So yeah, John knew it too. Esther 8 verse 9. If you guys want to If you guys get bored with my sermon this morning, you can turn to Esther 8 and 9, and that'll fill up five or ten minutes of your time reading one (laughs) verse. I actually asked that question because I'm going to be at Northgate on Memorial Day weekend, and they assigned me Esther's chapter 7 and 8, so I have the longest verse in the Bible that I've got to preach on in a few weeks. So... Uh, This morning we are in Daniel chapter 12, and uh, this is the end of Daniel, the end of our time in Daniel that uh, Mike mentioned, and uh, Daniel is in the middle of having this long vision, a vision that we've kind of covered over three weeks. Gene started us off a couple weeks ago, and Eric continued it uh, last week. And uh, part of Daniel chapter 10, verse 14, kind of setting up kind of the purpose of the vision, uh, the book says, and it came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So we're talking about the latter days. And we're talking about uh, a prophecy that Daniel has that in a lot of ways has to do with the nation of Israel, his people. Now, 2,500 years have passed since Daniel had this vision, and the part of it we're looking at uh, today has not been fulfilled. In fact, we're going to be looking at the Great Tribulation, uh, a time period that takes place after the rapture of the church. And so we're going to see God's timetable unfold a little bit for the nation of Israel. We're going to see the nation suffer again, but we're going to see the nation finally victorious. So uh, if you have your Bibles open, we are going to uh, read the first four verses in Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such such as never has been there since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So in verse 1, we see Michael. Uh, Gene talked about Michael a couple weeks ago, but he is uh, the archangel or an archangel. He's at the top of the hierarchy of angels. And Michael, um, some of the things that he does uh, Eventually, Michael will throw Satan out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation. But Michael has this major ongoing task. He's he's the protecting angel. He's the guardian angel over the nation of Israel. He's um, a chief prince, and maybe he's even one of a set of guardians over the nations. And his job is to ensure the survival of the nation of Israel uh, from when it became a nation through the end of the tribulation until the resurrection. And so we get this glimpse behind the curtain and get to see this key figure in Scripture. Um, and so, uh, and we've seen kind of throughout history the continued existence of Israel. Now, angels are spiritual servants and they go about God's work. And here's a verse that just talks about. Uh, angels here, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So angels are there to protect us, preserve us, to keep watch over us. And um, and when we talk about angels, we're getting this uh, supernatural dimension, um, and we see their role Uh, even here in the destiny of nations. So Daniel, um, when hearing about uh, Michael and that Michael is watching over Israel, he would be comforted, even knowing that this nation was going to go through the worst of times, he could know that Israel would be delivered and God would be using this powerful archangel Michael. So uh, verse one talks about Uh, has this phrase, at that time, and this phrase, time of trouble. And this phrase is talking about the Great Tribulation. It's a time period that lasts three and a half years. Um, It's the second half of the seven-year Tribulation. You can see it up up there on the screen. And um, the Tribulation actually begins, it takes place after the Rapture, but it begins when the Antichrist signs a peace agreement with the nation of Israel. And then uh, really there's a three and a half years of relative peace, the Antichrist is kind of occupied with other things, but at the midpoint of the uh, tribulation uh, is when uh, Satan is thrown out of heaven. We know kind of Satan has access into heaven. He can can go before the throne and he can accuse the saints. Uh, He did that with Job. Well, he gets thrown out of heaven, uh, in, in, at that midpoint of the tribulation, he loses his access to heaven. And so Satan is furious. And so he uses the Antichrist to target the nation of Israel. And so Israel becomes this international battlefield. And... Um, these verses really talk about that time being kind of the worst of times. And that's hard to even imagine knowing what the Jewish people have gone through with the, with the Holocaust and all sorts of different things throughout the years, the persecution they, they've endured, that this is going to be the worst of times. Um, Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. So Satan's goal is to destroy the Jews. And, and what he's trying to do is he's, and, and this has been his goal uh, from the beginning, and it will only tensify here at the Great Tribulation, but he wants to exterminate the people of Israel, and his theory is that if he can do that, then he can prevent the second coming of Jesus Christ. But God has promised Israel's deliverance. And we see that in history in some ways too, right? uh, If we took the spiritual aspect out of it, what are the odds that Israel would be a nation today? They weren't a nation for 2,000 years, but they have been a nation again for the last 75 years. And I think, actually, they had their... Independence Day or anniversary, whatever the word is, this past week where they celebrated 75 years as a nation again. And so we think about um, Daniel and these four world powers that he's been talking about throughout, um, throughout this book. You know, we think about um, um, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, these four dominant powers that no longer exist. And yet Israel, as a nation, does exist. And so the table is set today for these prophecies to be fulfilled. Satan has attempted to extinguish Israel, but Israel still stands. Um, Put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a minute and just think about the emotions that he's dealing with as he's um, experienced this vision as like a fire hose. He's taking it all in and knowing these these horrific times that are to come for his people. And yet he gets these assurances from God that the nation will be delivered, that God will keep and fulfill his promises, that Israel will survive, his people will survive. And so there is hope. There is hope still, regardless of whatever circumstances the nation finds itself in, or even not being a nation, the people, they can hope that... Um, that they will ultimately prevail. And so this great tribulation is a great evil that's perpetrated against God's chosen nation. And God uses this great tribulation, he uses this immense suffering, and he, he brings out this believing remnant that will enter into blessing, that will enter into the millennial kingdom, that this restored nation of Israel. There will be a massive revival, I think verse three talks about a massive revival in uh, Israel. Uh, The wise will turn many to righteousness. And so um, remember that this is a promise for the nation of Israel. This is a promise for Daniel's people. This is a promise for the Jews. This is not for the church, this is for the Jews. And Daniel would have been looking forward to this day and longing for this victory. And so uh, then in verse two, we have the people awakening, uh, the people awakening to everlasting life or to everlasting contempt. This is a resurrection verse. This is an Old Testament resurrection verse. um, And as we'll see in a minute, it's one of the few Old Testament resurrection verses. And it talks about those who sleep, awakening. These are dead people, awakening. And when it talks about sleep, it's talking about the body. The body is asleep. It's the physical part of it. The body is asleep. This isn't soul sleep this is talking about. And so Daniel is talking about a physical resurrection taking place here. And it's the first time in Scripture that the phrase everlasting life or eternal life is used. And this really would have been kind of a foreign concept um, to the Jewish people at the time. I think they kind of had this idea that uh, they, were, they were going to live forever, but it would be in, in Sheol. It would, if they were um, a follower of God, that they would live on this good half of Sheol. They would live in paradise and not in Hades. I think that was kind of the idea. So this idea of a, a bodily, physical resurrection would have been um, kind of foreign to them. And so this verse places that physical resurrection after the tribulation and before the millennium. And there's going to be two groups that are resurrected after the tribulation. One is the Old Testament saints, so Daniel's an example of that. And the other group resurrected at the end of the tribulation is is the tribulation martyrs, those who have died during that seven-year period. And they will receive physical glorified bodies. So here, uh, I'm sorry for the small font here, but here are the other Old Testament verses that talk about resurrection, that talk about eternity, and um, you can see for the length, the thickness in your Bible of the Old Testament, there really isn't that much that talks about resurrection, and I've bolded the two verses that talk about a physical bodily resurrection and I'll just read those right now. So Job 19:26 says, "And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God." And then Isaiah 26:19 says, "Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise, you who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy." For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Okay, so verse 2 also talks about the book. The people who are going to be delivered from Israel would have their names written in the book. Now, most think this is a reference to the book of life, and there may not actually be a physical, sitting on God's desk book of life. This may be a metaphor for what God knows, for um, the people that God knows have been justified by faith. Um, They will be delivered from judgment, and they will be able to continue their life on earth if their names are written in in the book. If their names are not written in the book, there's no hope for them, There's no peace for them. They do not get to enjoy the blessings of the millennial kingdom. They do not get to be part of this restored nation of Israel. So it'll be interesting to see when those names are finally revealed how many Jews there will be in this remnant, how many Jews will be delivered from judgment. Now verse 2 also talks about two resurrections one to everlasting life and one to everlasting shame and contempt. Now, the Bible actually uh, talks, uh, as a whole, talks about three resurrections um, and three judgments. So the first one, uh, kind of chronologically, the first resurrection is the rapture of the church. And after that, uh, those in the church will face the judgment seat of Christ. So that's the first one. Um, The second resurrection takes place after the tribulation and before the millennium, so we'll we'll be talking about uh, that one a lot. In fact, do I have a slide there? We'll talk about that one a lot uh, this morning. Um, This is, like I said, the Old Testament saints will be resurrected. Like Daniel, the tribulation martyrs will be resurrected. And then there will be those that are alive, that come through the tribulation, and, and this group of people will face the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And then the third resurrection takes place at the end of the millennium, and that's the great white throne judgment, where all the dead unbelievers who have not been judged and all those who are alive at the end of the millennium will face judgment at the great white throne, and those who do not believe will be cast into the lake of fire." So when this verse says a resurrection to everlasting life and a resurrection to everlasting judgment, it really is talking about that second and third judgment, the judgment of the sheep and the goats, the judgment at the great white throne. So there's a 1,000 years encompassed in that verse there. Notice the word everlasting. Of course, we all know what that means. That means forever, right? Um, and it says everlasting life, everlasting judgment. So that's, this is another verse against this concept of annihilationism, this concept that God is just going to um, poof people out of existence if they have not trusted in him. They will just cease to exist. Um, no. Um, life and judgment are never-ending. They're everlasting. They go on forever and ever. And if... That a person faces everlasting judgment. They will be separated from God. They will be judged at the great white throne judgment. They will face eternal shame, eternal co- contempt. I don't know about you, but that does not sound very pleasant to me. I'm not uh, really wanting to go that route. And so hopefully for all of us here, we've made that decision to put our faith in Jesus Christ, to put our trust in him um, so that we will never face that, that horrific idea, that horrific time of everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3 talks about shining like the stars. There will be tribulation saints that illuminate the way, that will turn many to Christ, that will turn many to righteousness. Um, It's going to be a tremendous time of suffering during this great tribulation. And during that time, many will come to know the Lord. And these... Uh, people during that time that are effective servants for God will shine the brightest. And I think we can take this application for ourselves. We want to shine like the stars. We want to reflect the glory of God in our lives. I think this means we, you know, I think this has to do with eternal rewards. Um, if we're more effective, I think when we are uh, stand before God at Judgment Day, uh, we will get a greater capacity uh, in eternity to reflect his glory. We we all shine as believers, but we shine at different wattages. I was thinking about young people, especially as I was thinking about this idea of shining like the stars. Uh, Those of you that are teenagers out there. I know uh, our young people today, they strive for lives that have meaning and significance. They want to make a difference in the world. And uh, it's amazing when you ask kids, I think they've done surveys of kids, uh, young people um, these last few years, and it's amazing how many people wanna grow up and they wanna be a YouTube influencer. That's like their goal in life. I wanna be a YouTube influencer. But, But I think it reflects something that God has built into all of us, that we wanna make a difference, that we wanna make an impact on this world. And this verse, this passage, shows us the way to significant, significance. Uh, if we want to make a difference in this world, we need to be pointing others to Jesus Christ. We need to be sharing the good news. We need to be striving to see souls come to know the Lord. How bright do you want to shine? In this world, I think, A glory is fleeting. You can seek your 15 minutes of fame if you want, but God gives us an opportunity here to shine brightly for eternity. Now, uh, verse 4 is an extremely interesting verse in Bible prophecy. And we'll get to the second half is very interesting here. But first of all, Daniel is told, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So I really think Daniel here doesn't have much understanding of what he's seeing in this vision. And and he's being told here, Daniel, you're not going to understand all of this, but these words that you are writing, this vision that you are recording, it's going going to be needed at the end. This book, these prophecies have to do with the time of the end, and they're going to help many, many people understand the future. Um, so I know even just scholars today, they understand more uh, than Daniel did. They, they, they understand what Daniel saw, they um, understand more than him. And just this last, I would say 150, 200 years, the study of prophecy in the church has really, really increased. Uh, Maybe the 2,000 years before that or so, uh, the study of prophecy really wasn't that big of a thing. Um, Other eras had other doctrines that they were focused on. Um, I thought of the the Reformation, where it was really the doctrine of salvation um, that was uh, kind of in question, and that was really being wrestled with. But recent generations, the doctrine of prophecy has come to the forefront. And so then we get this really strange sentence, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Well, What does that mean? Well, some people have looked at that through kind of a, uh, the modern lens and say, okay, many shall run to and fro. Well, that has to do with travel. That has to do with our, um, the ability uh, for all of us by air to go anywhere in the world in basically a day. Um, something that would have been unfathomable for Daniel, and this increased knowledge. Well, that sounds like us today as well. And so I kind of, uh, I kind of Googled this a little bit. I was looking for. I know there's some sort of um, knowledge theory out there that says you know our knowledge doubles every so often. And so I was looking kind of. Well, what's the what's the going? theory on how frequently our knowledge doubles. And so this is what I found. So knowledge doubled uh, every century. Uh, Once a century, knowledge doubled up to 1900. And then until 1950, knowledge doubled every 25 years. And then From 1950 to 1982, knowledge doubled roughly every 13 months. And then today with the internet, the theory says that knowledge doubles every 12 hours. So you can see uh, that really does apply to us. that, That increase in knowledge, boy, we are really experiencing that in our day, aren't we? But with that goes increased anxiety, increased restlessness, and less peace, it seems like, for us today. So that's the kind of the more general take on it, kind of the, those. there's others who look at that and say, well, this is not really referring kind of generally to to travel and to knowledge increasing, but it's really talking about uh, our increase in the knowledge of prophecy, that that's really going to increase till the end. Uh, Even during the tribulation, and during the great tribulation, Uh, knowledge is going to increase even more. There's going to be people that are desperate for answers. They're going to be seeing these world events taking place, and they're going to turn to the Bible, earnestly study, earnestly seek to know what God says about the world events that are going on. And one of the places they're going to turn in their Bible is to the book of Daniel. Uh, I thought about the Left Behind series. I know some of you have read the Left Behind series, and this is a theme Throughout the Left Behind books, where those who are left behind—they have not accepted Christ—and the Rapture takes place, and then they come to Christ after that, they have a real desire to know what does the Bible say about uh, the end times. People tried to tell them before the Rapture, and they didn't listen, and now they really want to know, and and so they they share with each other what they're learning, and they post what they're learning on the internet. And so um, I can imagine something like that playing out where people are going to be desperate to know what does God have to say about what's going on during this tribulation, during this great tribulation. Um, The headlines, the daily headlines uh, in the daily newspapers of that time, uh, people will be able to turn in their Bibles and find these events taking place. And so I think there's this idea that only with the people that are going through it will um, these prophecies of Daniel be able to be fully understood, fully interpreted, those that are living during the time that these events uh, are happening. Okay, let's move on, uh, and let's read the rest of the chapter, uh, verse 5 to verse 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream and someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream how long shall it be till the end of these wonders and i heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream he raised his right hand and he raised his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So there's these three people one each on either side of the stream, and then there's this man in linen above the waters. Now, I won't talk too much about who this man is other other than to say I agree with what Gene said a couple weeks ago, that the man in linen is a theophany or a Christophany. This is a pre-incarnate Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So I agree with that. And so uh, verse 6 talks about one of the angels on the side of the stream. He asks a question of the man in linen, and he says, what is the duration of this time of trouble? And so we see the response in verse 7. And this man in linen, Christ, this pre-incarnate Christ, raises both hands to heaven, and he swears by the Father. And What that says is that what he's about to say is absolute truth. This is going to happen. The outcome is determined. When we swear, when we go to court and we swear, normally we raise one hand. And I think, from what I understand, uh, in Daniel's time it was similar. And so when you have these both hands raised to heaven, this is a, let's pay attention to what's gonna be said here. And so he talks about the time and times and half a time until the end of suffering, and so um, all of all of you who know your Bible prophecy knows that that phrase time and times and half a time means three and a half years or one thousand two hundred and sixty days, and so we have the beginning point here is this abomination of desolation that we've talked about uh, throughout our study of Daniel, where. Uh, In the temple, the Antichrist sets up an image to himself and he declares himself God and he demands worship of himself and his image. So that's the beginning of this 1,260 days. And the end is when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns. Like I said, tribulation, seven years, the first half relatively peaceful, for Israel, the second half, not so much. There's going to be immense suffering for Israel. And so what Daniel learns from, from this time and time and half of times that has been communicated by, this pre, by the pre-incarnate Christ is that the suffering of the people of Israel has set and defined limits. God is not going to allow indefinite suffering for his people. Now, God has a purpose for this suffering. This suffering is evil. It's caused by Satan, by the Antichrist, by his followers, but God uses this suffering. And he does it, or he allows it, because his holy people, the nation of Israel, their power will be shattered. Their will will be broken. Their stubbornness will finally be brought to an end. We think of of the Jews today, that they don't, they reject the Messiah. They reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They refuse to believe he is the Messiah. And that stubbornness is going to come to an end with the great tribulation. And so God is working in his nation. He's pruning, he's purging, he's refining, he's purifying. Verse 10 says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. And so we have this great tribulation, trials, persecution. It lasts for three and a half years. Many Jews are going to turn to Christ. And in the end, God is going to have this uh, Jewish remnant where the rebellion is going to end forever. Um, Even today, before the tribulation, before the rapture, um, just in these last hundred years, right? 75 years, we've seen. Israel regathered into a nation, and then during the tribulation, those rebels who who refuse to bow the knee to God will be purged, and at the end of the tribulation, there will be this regenerated regenerated nation that enters into the millennial kingdom, and there is a passage in Ezekiel chapter 20 that talks about uh, God's judgment during this time. And so I'll read that. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge out the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord." So we talked already about this three and a half years, this 1,260 days. And in verse 11 and 12, we have this 1,290 days. And then we have this 1,335 days. So we've got an extra 30 days, an extra 45 days. Well, what's this all about? Well, I do believe that these are literal days. Uh, in my passage last month, we talked about 2,300 Evenings and mornings, uh, where there was going to be this abomination of desolation uh, that took place during this intertestamental period between the Old and the New te- Testament. Uh, Eric mentioned it last week, Antiochus Epiphanes, and those were literal 2,300 evenings and mornings. So I take this 1,290 days, this 1,335 days, literally. Now, there's lots of theories about what these days mean, but There is one that makes sense to me, and I will go with that. And so we have these extra 75 days um, until the end somehow, where the Great Tribulation comes to an end, Satan and the Antichrist are are defeated, so that the end of the Great Tribulation, uh, and then the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, the thousand-year reign, of Jesus Christ, and so this 75 days is the time in between that. And kind of the analogy that I came up with, it's uh, the difference between election day, where the victor is declared, and we know who the winner is, and inauguration day, where the winner actually assumes the throne, takes power, and So we have that with our presidential system. And so I did a little math. I mean, for a sermon, for any good sermon, you need a little math, right? That's the the rule of sermons. And so our next election for president is November 5th, 2024. And our next inauguration is January 20th, 2025. And so how long is that between the election and the inauguration? 76 days, 76 days. So uh, that's kind of the analogy that I'm using here, and we think about when there's a a transition of power from one administration to another. The, The new administration needs to hire all this staff. They need to nominate their cabinet and have them confirmed by the Senate. They need to move their house and the the people who are in the old administration need to move out. There needs to be a cross-training and exchanging of information that takes place. So those extra days are really valuable there for for a a change of power for a country. And so um, that's what this is, I believe, a final transition of power, a transition from the god of this world, Satan, to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so... Um, I came up with a possible list of things that need to take place during this 75-day period. So here are some things that, between the end of the Great Tribulation and the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, some things that could take place during this transition time. Jesus' feet touched down on the Mount of Olives. The Antichrist has some troops around the world that haven't, he's been defeated, but they're still alive wandering around with their machine guns. They need to be mopped up and done away with. The image and the idol that the Antichrist has set up in the temple, that needs to be brought down. The land, lots of death and destruction during the tribulation, and the land is going to really suffer, and there needs to be this time of cleanup. Um, after the tribulation, after the battle of Armageddon. The people of Israel, who who may be scattered around the world, need to be regathered. The nations, those who survive, the Gentiles, uh, need to be regathered for judgment. The judgment of those still alive, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, the tribulation martyrs, and then the judgment, the sheep and the goats' judgment, takes place. Satan is thrown into the abyss. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. The old temple is demolished and construction begins on the millennial temple. The final border of Israel, I say reestablished here, God has set it out in, in his word and Israel has never fully occupied Uh, its territory, so they will fully occupied, fully occupy um, God's boundaries. The marriage supper, the marriage feast, the marriage celebration, so the marriage of the lamb takes place in heaven, and then uh, the church that is raptured comes down to earth with the Lord Jesus at his second coming, and there's this feast, this celebration, and then we get our jobs. We get our assignments. We're going to be here for the thousand year reign of Christ if we have a relationship with him. And so he's going to have work for us to do. And so we will get our job assignments. That's just a possible list of things that could take place during those 75 days. You can take it or leave it if you want. And so Daniel is told in verses 9 and verse 13, go your way. This is not Daniel's prophecy. He doesn't have the full understanding uh, of the future. This is really meant for God's followers to come. Daniel's getting throughout his book this wide sweep of history, and he just doesn't have the ability to process it, and nobody during his time would. And so uh, this pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ tells him to seal the book, preserve the book for the future, This will prevent any changes from taking place. And today, like I said, we have much more understanding. We know what the Lord's plan is more. We have the whole counsel of God, the whole canon of Scripture. We have other prophecies that we can use. We have the book of Revelation. We see in the book of Revelation where the seals are broken, where the time of fulfillment for some of these things has has come. And Daniel has been successful in the the mission to go your way and seal this up, Daniel has been successful. His mission is completed. We have his account preserved. We have it available to us. It's free to billions of people on this device right here. There's been many attempts over the years to eradicate God's word, to destroy the Bible, and yet it's the best-selling book of all time, and so much of the world has it right at their fingertips. I was thinking about John Nelson Darby. He's one of the founders of of the New Testament Assembly movement that we're a part of. Uh, he lived in the early 1800s, and well, almost all the 1800s. But in the early 1800s, uh, he founded, or was part of the founding of this movement, and so we have our lineage from him. But he comes up with this prophecy system using God's word, and it's been passed down. Uh, some of you have had a Schofield Bible, some of you have had a Ryrie Bible, some of you have studied at Dallas Theological Seminary, Josh, where, this, uh, where Darby's system of prophecy has been taught. We've read the Left Behind books, some of us, and, and so much of the church today has this premillennial, um, premillennial, pre-tribulational view of the end times. Um, And and one of the things that Darby has is a clear distinction between Israel and the church. Israel is not the church. The church is not Israel. When the Bible talks about the church, it's not talking about Israel. When it's talking about Israel, it's not talking about the church. The church will be raptured and will face the judgment seat of Christ in heaven, the marriage of the Lamb in heaven. Israel is going to go through the tribulation, the great tribulation, They're going to have to deal with the Antichrist, and then they get to experience the second coming, the restoration of the nation of Israel, and the borders of the land restored to their original designation. Now, Darby is sometimes criticized because this is kind of a relatively uh, recent system, but that may have been God's plan that, like I said earlier, that the church is now only getting around in these last couple hundred years to studying eschatology, to studying the last things. And uh, as the closer we get to this time of trouble, the closer that we get to this end of wonders, the more we'll know, the more we'll learn. Now, Jews today don't recognize the book of Revelation, but they recognize the book of Daniel. And Jews today, their strongest enemy is the nation of Iran. And Iran's goal is to eliminate Israel, to annihilate them, to wipe them off the face of the map. But if, if Jews know their book of Daniel, if they trust Daniel, they can be encouraged that Iran is going to fail. Daniel's... Um, talking about Israel in this, but it applies to us as well. We can know that God will be the victor over evil. And so Daniel tells, or the Lord tells Daniel to rest. This is a euphemism. Daniel is going to die. All of us are appointed to die once, and after that, the judgment Unless the Lord returns in our time, uh, we are going to die. But Daniel is going to stand again at the end of days. He's going to stand in his allotted place, and he is going to be resurrected with the nation of Israel and get to experience this time of blessing during the millennial kingdom. And that's true for us as well. For the believer, we're supposed to go our way. God has given us a path to follow. And someday when we die, we're going to enter rest. Our mortal body will come to an end. But if we have turned to the Lord in salvation, we will stand again. God has an allotted place for us in his eternal kingdom. He has an inheritance for us. We will share in the blessings of the thousand-year reign of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, and we will return to heaven with him in triumph. And we will celebrate the marriage feast, with our friends, the tribulation saints, the Old Testament saints, and Daniel himself. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Daniel. Um, Lord, he didn't understand so much of this, but you have given us this book so that we could understand. And thank you for the chance to study it, Lord. Lord, help us to go our way. Help us to uh, take the path that you have for us, Lord. And Lord, For those of us that do know you, we are thankful that we have an allotted place in your kingdom. For those that don't know you, Lord, I pray for them, Lord. I don't want them to face eternal shame or eternal contempt separated from you. And so I pray that they would turn to you and to your son, Jesus Christ, for their salvation. So, Lord, we want to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.